take out your Bibles and the handout sheet that is given to you at the front door, and we can begin. We are in part three of our seven-part series through the book of uh, Micah, and we've entitled this series, Who is Like Our God? The title of the message is Leading Out Today, and I would love to draw your attention to the the fill-in-the-blank on that handout that was given to you with just a few thoughts. I want to talk about the importance of good leadership. If you do any study of the Old Testament, especially in the books of 1st and 2nd Samuel, 1st and 2nd Kings, 1st and 2nd Chronicles, any of the history books of ancient Israel, you'll find a pattern emerges immediately. As goes the king, so goes the nation. So the way that it works out is the pattern says, and this king did what was right in the eyes of God. And all of a sudden, you know that whatever story is coming next, the nation rises up. Then it will say, this king did what was evil in the eyes of God and everything goes down. Why? Some, some business gurus have said things like everything rises and falls on leadership. I don't think that's too far amiss. I think that's pretty accurate. The health of an organization ultimately depends on its leadership, right? I mean, we all know that. And it doesn't mean that every group that has a good leader is automatically functional. We're dealing with people, right? You're always going to have dysfunction. You're always going to have challenge. You're always going to have craziness. What it means is, is that over time, and you have to look over time, that good leadership will begin to iron out the dysfunctions. It doesn't get worse. It gets better. That's kind of how leadership works. All right. Well, having said that, let's talk a little bit about leadership. Y'all remember the game, and, and I'm not sure anybody plays it anymore. But there was a game, Follow the Leader. You all remember the Follow the Leader game? Basically, whatever the person in the line ahead of you does, you're supposed to do. So if they run and they jump up and touch a branch, your job is to run up and touch the branch, and the next person does that. And it just kind of wanders around. It's kind of a kid's game. I hope it's a kid's game. If y'all are still playing that, all right, whatever. That's cool to each his own, right? Well, here's the deal. That is how the game goes. So you go, oh, that's a that's an awesome idea. Well, let's look at the fill in the blank on the sheet in front of you. Follow the leader as long as he or she is going the right way. <laughs> yeah? Follow the leader as long as he or she is going the right way. Why? Because what's the other side of that? It's another mantra that our parents used to say. If all your friends jumped off a cliff, would you jump off a cliff? Right? So, yeah, you want to follow the leader. That's kind of the game. Unless the leader's going the wrong direction. Then, no, we don't follow the leader because that's a terrible idea, right? Hey, let's jump out of a plane without a parachute. Hey, let's not do that. You understand what I'm saying? There's certain times that we say no. But if the leader's going the right way, awesome, let's do that. The problem was in ancient Israel, the leadership was not going the right way. So let me recap where we're at in this series. You got a prophet who's ministering in the capital city of Jerusalem. His name's Micah. And here's kind of the history. If you remember, Israel broke north and south. The north has already, they didn't like each other. The north already has been wiped out by God in judgment. All that's left is the south 
They thought they were the good guys, the high and mighty guys, the religious guys. And yet Micah is looking around and going, y'all are doing the exact same thing that the North was doing before they got wiped out. It's going to happen to us. We're going the same route. We can't do that. So what you find in the book of Micah is a lot of talk about justice. Last time we were together, we talked about how there were some landowners that were scooping up other people's family land and their, their greed was just getting out of control. In this one, it mentions justice again. As a matter of fact, in chapter 3, where we're going to be, there's only 12 verses. It's three sections. Each section mentions the word justice. It's very, very important to God. Well, you know what? Instead of going any further, how about we just turn there? Would you turn with me to Micah chapter 3? If you have your Bibles or you might want to turn there real quick. It's in the Old Testament. If you drop your Bible open in the middle, it's to the right. All right. Micah chapter three, verse one, it's page 777 in the Bibles under the seat in front of you. If you need to borrow one of those, Micah chapter three, verse one, this is where we start out. It's a little brutal. So I'm going to kind of make some sense of it. You're going to go, Oh, I get it. Micah chapter three, verse one, he begins. And I said here, or listen up. You heads of Jacob and rulers of the house of Israel. Okay, let's set the tone right there. Who are the heads of Jacob, Israel? Who are Jacob and Israel? Y'all remember Jacob was the, was the kid whose name was changed to Israel and became the father of the 12 sons who became the 12 nations of Israel. Anytime you hear Jacob and Israel, they're the same, same team, same guys. Who are the heads of the nation. They still had a king, but they were under the Assyrian empire paying tribute. So their king was kind of like a puppet king. The real leadership, y'all know that some people have the title and some people have the real influence. The real influential leaders were the judges of the land. They were the, the heads of the clans, the heads of the families. They were like the organic Supreme Court. This is who Micah and God are going after because they were the ones to tell the people how to live and to keep the order. Ah, he's got some tough words for him. Here we go. Is it not for you, leadership, to know justice? Meaning if you don't know it, who knows it? You who hate the good and love the evil who tear the skin from off my people and their flesh from off their bones who eat the flesh of my people and flay their skin from off them break their bones in pieces and chop them up like meat in a pot like flesh in a cauldron then when judgment hits they the bad guys will cry to the lord but he will not answer them he will hide his face from them at that time because they have made their deeds evil Dang, how about that for a little morning devotional? Woo! Nothing like a little cannibalism to put the kids to bed at night. Might want to read that. Right? That's super sweet. 
Like, what the heck? What are we talking about? We're chopping up people and putting them in a pot? What is that? I'll tell you about that in one moment, uh, because actually it's very, very practical. But let's talk about what he said. Hey, how else are you going to get the body in the pot? Come on, you guys. Like, why is no one writing this down? I don't understand. Shouldn't leaders know the most? I mean, God has this super severe expectation of leadership. Why? Because if individuals do their own thing and have completely wacky ideas, it really only affects them. When leaders have wacky ideas, it affects all kinds of people. So what I do as having this role and this job at Bridgeway is I live in paranoia all the time. Man, I am paranoid every time I walk up here. Why? Because I now have the ability to screw up a whole lot of thoughts, right? So, because it's not just who's in the church, right? It's not just the thousands of us that are in Bridgeway. It's going out over the airwaves. It's everyone watching online. It's all the podcasts. It's all the radio listeners. It's all that. So when I walk up to this pulpit, I better get it right. And so I put in so much effort and so much work to make sure that I have the right context, that I'm pulling stuff accurately, that I'm displaying the word of God rightly, because I know how God feels about leadership. It even says in the New Testament, not many of you should want to be teachers for they will incur a stricter judgment. Isn't that what it says? Because God knows that if leadership is bad, it affects everybody. Now, I'm going to talk a lot about leadership today. And you may well say, oh, okay, so he's not really talking about me. You see, Pastor Lance, right now in my life, I'm a stay-at-home mom and I don't even have time to hang out with my friends. Like I have no influence other than my three babies that are kind of hanging out at home. Let me explain something to you. You're exactly who I'm talking to. Why? Because you're a leader. You see, leadership is influence. Your mission field, your calling is your children. They are just as important as if you were working as a CEO with thousand employees. Why? Because it all has to do with what's your sphere of influence God asked you to manage. So if you're managing your little ones, and I'm talking about leadership, what are you communicating to your children? Are you speaking life over your children? Are you giving them the truth? Are you being the best version of you? Are you helping them thrive? All the same rules apply. So I'm going to argue that every Christian is a leader. And I want to kind of tell you why here in a moment. But let me, let me just share a couple pieces about why God gets so extreme about this. Judah... Jerusalem, they always complained about the north and said, oh, you guys are not following the Lord. We're the ones that know the truth if you would only do it our way. Remember, the north and south hated each other. Well, the north is wiped out. South, you're it. You're all Israel. So if you are ever going to bring reform, how about now? You got no one else to blame. This is your big chance. And what are they doing? The exact same stuff that the north fell into here's the other thing that's important they are the last chance of the oppressed 
y'all remember when siblings fight, right? When siblings argue, let's say one sibling, the older siblings picking on the younger sibling. Y'all know how this is supposed to go, right? It's supposed to be that you appeal to the highest authority for freedom, which is who I'm going to tell mom, right? Y'all know mom's the Supreme court. Whatever dad comes up with, it's going to get overturned, right? Do you understand what I'm saying? So the little picked on sibling should be able to go to the authorities and they are to look at the case impartially and make a determination for the best. That's how our society should run. We should be able to go to the authorities and they would treat it rightly. They would make up for what the bad guys are doing. But what if the authorities are the problem? You see, in Israel, the authorities were the problem. They were the ones that were corrupt. They were the ones causing a problem. And God said, where do you want the picked on people to go? If you're the corrupt ones, who are they going to appeal to? If someone's chasing you, you should be able to run to an authority for safety. If you do not have that safety, where do you run? So God was coming in super intense and super hardcore. Y'all, we are leaders as Christians. Let me kind of give you some funny examples. Okay, if you are a Christian... You're indwelt by the Holy Spirit. Y'all understand that? You are not empowered by a force. You're inhabited by a person. Now, here's the funny thing about the person. The person of the Holy Spirit may or may not be on your same agenda. Does that make sense? Like, because what you would like to do is go through your life and dictate to the Holy Spirit what he should do. And sometimes he's like, yep, that's a great idea. The only reason you thought that is I told you that. Then sometimes he's like, nope, that's a totally stupid idea. I'm not doing that. Okay, so what happens is, like, for example, we get all fired up in these services, right? And we're going home. We're feeling particularly spiritual. We're feeling a little more locked in with the Lord. And we're like, Holy Spirit, use me today. Like maybe Monday morning, right? Use me today, Lord. Whatever you have, may your divine appointments come my way, right? We're all in. By Wednesday, we're like, hey, you might want to sit this one out. Like, I'm going to the club, not quite sure. You don't even like that kind of music, Holy Spirit. You know what I'm saying? Like, like you're not really into techno right now. And, and, you know, we start making all these decisions as if we want to leave him behind. We want to pick and choose where he goes. Well, he's not listening to you. He's kind of doing his own thing. And so he's like, hey, real quick, let me tell you how this game goes. I'm in charge. So I go wherever I want to go. And I'm going with you because Jesus said to his people, you will be my witnesses. Do you remember that? He didn't say you're going to try to be my witnesses. He didn't say uh, you need to train to be my witnesses. He said you will be my witnesses. Now you can either be a good witness or a bad witness, but you're going to be a witness. And the Holy Spirit will not only work on you internally, the Holy Spirit is going to work through you whether you like it or not. Let me give you a couple examples. Are we all in agreement that not all Christians make wise decisions? Is everybody... 
Okay, so these are legit real stories, but I'm going to change some of the names, right? (laughs) To protect the locals. All right, here we go. Okay, you're all sitting around with your friends and you had a walk with Jesus. As a matter of fact, you think you got a walk with him right now. You got the Holy Spirit in you. The problem is you're all sitting around with your friends lighting up some weed, right? So you're all sitting around and everybody's getting high and you want to bring up Jesus, right? Hey man, you know what I'm thinking? I'm thinking ancient Israel. You know what I'm thinking? I'm thinking like 2000 years ago, how everything changed. You guys down with me? You understand? Yeah. It's like there was a revolution. You ever feel like being a revolutionary like Jesus? Yep. And it's like, are we really talking about this right now? Okay, you're all lit. Everybody's has, everybody's drunk. And you're like, I love you. I love you. You know who I love? I love Jesus. You know who I love? Jesus loves you. You know what I'm saying? Okay, here's the funny thing. You're not trying to actively evangelize. The problem is the Holy Spirit's not taking the day off. He's still moving through you going, man, you are an idiot. However, I'm still doing my thing, right? So he'll bring up stuff right in the middle of a scenario you don't normally want to get into it about, right? Here's another one. You're really, really angry. You're already a little temper monster, right? But you're just having a particularly horrible day and the Holy Spirit will be like, you know who we're going to minister to? That person right there. All of a sudden it starts some conversation. They go, I thought you were a Christian. Don't you go to Bridgeway? And you're like, I do not want to get into this right now. I'm so angry. The Holy Spirit's doing his own thing. The reason why I bring all this up is we're all leaders. Leadership is influence. And if you have the Holy Spirit, he's moving through you on your good days and your bad days. He is moving through you sometimes despite you. Wouldn't it be beautiful if we were aligned with him and we actually wanted to do what he wanted to do? We just need to be aware that he is always bleeding out, always ministering. Always, your sin can't stop him. Your failures and mistakes can't shut him down. He's still going to advance the kingdom of God. I think some of that is beautiful. Let me, let me share a, a couple other things about this passage. The whole cannibalism stuff, right? You're eating my people. Okay. In ancient literature, that is oppression language. It's very common. Why? Here's the practicality piece to it. It is practical because When you oppress someone, you consume them. So in other words, if I'm oppressing you, your money, I'm taking your money and taking it into myself. If I'm a power hungry person, you've heard that phrase. What do you mean hungry for? You're consuming other people. But when your greed gets so out of control, you're not just consuming others. It's what consuming you. That idea of eating is where the cannibalistic language comes in. It says you're treating other people like things to eat and consume. So that's why he uses it. Notice what God's response was. In that day, when I come in with my heat, don't even bother praying. I'm not even listening. Would God ever shut off prayer? Would he ever shut off listening to his people? The answer to that is yes, but it's very different in the Old Testament. 
than in the New Testament. Why? In the Old Testament, with the nation of Israel, God had a contract. It's called a covenant. A covenant. He made it through Abraham. He reaffirmed it and developed it more with David, King David. This contract said, blessing, cursing. Israel, I'm going to bless you beyond other nations around you. I'm going to give you stuff other people don't get. I'm going to be attentive. One of the things is that if you pray toward my temple, my ears are attuned to you and I will answer your prayers more than everybody else. However, that's my side of the contract. Your side of the contract is obedience. If you obey me and demonstrate my ways, which is the whole reason why you're here, by the way, if you show me rightly to the world, I will bless you. If you do not, I will curse you. It was an agreement and a contract. If Israel as a nation violates the contract, it severs it. And God says, I'm not, I'm not blessing you anymore. I'm not giving you favor. Hmm. He would shut down prayers and just go, I'm not listening. This is why in the Old Testament, you'll read King David saying things like, don't take your Holy Spirit from me. Don't turn your ear away from me. Don't shut me out, God. Because that's how the contract works. Isn't it amazing then that when Jesus comes on the scene, he said, I come with a new covenant. I come with a new contract. We're not doing it the old way anymore. Now, when I take you into myself, when you surrender your heart and life to me, I actually adopt you into my family. Now, I may discipline my kids. I may punish my kids, but you'll always be my kids. So, no, I'm not going to shut you off. I will block things by saying you're being a brat. I'm not listening to you right now, right? For example, in the book of James, it talks about husbands, be careful how you treat your wives so that your prayers will not be blocked. So it's not like he doesn't temporarily go, you're being rude. We're not doing that. Yeah, he'll do that. But that idea of shutting down, it completely is an Old Testament concept. Let me give you a a couple more examples. When the Old Testament era ended, and do y'all know that the Bible is not organized chronologically, right? It's 66 books. It's organized in genre. So all the wisdom books go together. All the history books go together. All the prophets go together. That's how it's organized. So the end of the Old Testament era actually ends at the end of Second Chronicles. Second Chronicles is the end of the nation of Israel until it goes silent. The last prophet to preach during that time was who? Malachi. That's why he's the last book in the Old Testament. What happened was, is Israel had broken the covenant. The south ends up getting wiped out. And God goes silent for 400 years. That's crazy. It is why it was so significant that 400 years later, came a man dressed in camel hair clothing with a belt tied around his waist, eating locusts and wild honey. 
looking old school like the Old Testament, looking just like the guys that were way back when. He was a Nazarite. And what was his name? John the Baptist. His tie-in was to the Old Testament. That's why he looked like that. And he comes in, and what is his message? God is about to speak again. The silence is over. Here comes the Messiah. And then who walks in after him? Jesus Christ. And he comes in and says, I am your king. There's a whole different way that we're doing this. We are now leading a revolution of the heart. And he begins to lay out a whole different way of viewing things. It was about thought and intention. It was about dedication and loyalty. It was about love and relationship. And he began to share a whole new way that God was going to work with people. Man, how cool is that? But don't get me wrong. God went silent. No main prophets for 400 years. He does that kind of stuff because of covenant violations. Here's a couple of hope pieces for you. One of them is anytime you read severe language from God on people, I want you to picture it this way. Imagine you knew of some oppression going on. It was either happening to you or someone else. And you prayed and God said, I'm on it and acted like this and brought in the heat. For example... Let's say you're reading some type of news feed and it comes in that some nation with a corrupt government is now killing Christians. You're horrified and you start praying, Lord, this cannot be. Bring in your angels, bring in your judgment, overthrow that government and instantly God just launches all the heat and starts raining down fire. Can you imagine that? You'd be like, yeah, woo! These books are a reminder that people don't just get away with stuff. That God's watching and the oppression will be ended at some point. It may not be in your timing, but your prayers matter. God talks about in the book of Revelation about how prayers are in a bowl where they're getting stored up. And then they get poured out in the wrath of God. Remember I told you last week, the only reason there's a delay is because God is so nice and patient and loving and forgiving even to the bad guys. Why? Because sometimes those bad guys are us. All right, so when I read this stuff, these types of judgment on leadership, I only get more and more paranoid. There is, there is only some things that help reset me every once in a while. I get comments, right? So a lot of people will challenge my leadership and, and a lot of people will encourage me. So sometimes I need to hear from the experts about how I'm actually doing in my leadership. So I have some actual cards. You would say listener mail. I have some cards right here from the experts, fifth graders. Uh, so five fifth graders wrote me cards the other day, and this was before the VBS. So they wrote me cards just to encourage me. So I thought I would read them to you. These are kind of fun. You ready to go? All right, here we go. Just in case I'm not doing well, they'll let me know. Here we go. This is Lucas. Here we go. Dear Pastor Lance, hello. Just wanted to say that I love it when you preach. And I thought, oh, that's sweet. Thank you, Lucas. That's super cute. Uh, EJ said this, dear Lance, 
You are awesome. Your preaching is sweet. And so in case you all didn't know that, my preaching is sweet. Right? Doesn't matter that it's Deer Lance D-E-E-R. That's cool. That's cool. EJ, you stick with that. Here we go. This one's Angelina, fifth grade. Dear Pastor Lance, thank you for taking your time teaching God's Word. I love listening to you teach God's Word in my free time. Okay. I don't know if that's how she accentuated it, but... Angelina, I understand your life is busy. I understand that you got a lot going on. But when you have free time, thank you for listening to me preach. That's cool. I mean, between work and all the demands. Here we go. We ready? Here we go. Dear Pastor, my name is Alex. I'm in the fifth grade. Thank you for preaching, not for the money, but for the teaching others. Also, thank you for creating Kidsway. So not only did I create all of Kidsway... But thank you for not teaching for the money. I think that Alex is keeping me honest, right? That's cool. That's cool. All right, last one of those. Uh, here we go. Dear pastors, it's Jacob. I think you're doing a great job. Preach the good word and do your job. Okay, so. Thank you, Jacob. Let's do your job. Okay, I got a couple from VBS. You want to hear these? These are, these are fantastic. Okay, uh, let's see. I don't even know who this one. Here we go. We're going to open up this one right here. This is, this is, uh, nope, we're doing that one. Second, here we go. This one first. Dear Pastor Lands, L-A-N-S. Dear Pastor Lands, this is McKinley. McKinley wrote this. Thank you for teaching my mom and dad. When you teach them, they teach me. Bam, come on. McKinley, man, and here's the deal. If you're not bringing these messages home, I know. Your children will out you. Okay, I don't think you need to bring home the cannibalistic part. But other than that, it's it's all good. Uh, here we go. Um, this is awesome. Dear Pastor Lance, this is, this is from... Oh, this is excellent. Okay. Dear Pastor Lance, P-A-S-T-E-R, in case you're trying to write this down. Dear Pastor Lance, thank you for all that you have done. You have given our parents the privilege of learning about God. Every day you take hours to teach fully grown adults. So thank you. <laughs> Little does he know. Alex, son of Kyle. Son of what? No. He's either biblical or from outer space. I am Alex, son of Kyle. Are you? Are you now? Here we go. This is from Tyler. Uh, it says Justin and Kara's daughter. In case you wanted to know, here we go. This is it's written in gold ink. I got to turn it around. Dear uh, Pastor Lance, thank you for running this church. If it weren't for you, I would be home alone or going to some boring camp. Love, Tyler. There we go. Uh, fantastic. All right. At least I know that what I'm doing makes a difference. Praise the Lord. Pick it up in verse 5. Thus says the Lord concerning the prophets. Remember, the first one was about the leadership and the judges. Thus says the Lord concerning the prophets who lead my people astray, who cry peace when they have something to eat, but declare war 
against him who puts nothing into their mouths. Wait, what? Okay, here's how it works. In the Old Testament, and I would argue today, there are people that are supernaturally gifted. They're sensitive to the spirit realm. They, they see things and know things that other people just simply don't. That has always been the case. As I said, I believe that continues on today. I believe there is anointing and gifting and, and design by God that allows supernatural insight to certain people. Now, some of those became prophets. There was also the office of prophet where God would institute one or two folks and say, you're my point person. Everything I need my nation to know, I'm going to talk through you and I need you very accurately to tell them everything I tell you. But you have to understand, it wasn't just those few. A lot of people had gifting. A lot of them began to use it wrongly. Just because you have a gift doesn't mean you're using it right. So the bad prophets or the false prophets would go around with their anointing and gifting and they would use it for their own benefit. What this verse means is that if you had a legal problem, you'd go to the judges. If you had a religious problem, you'd go to the priests. If you had a personal problem, you go to the prophets. The problem is the prophets would give you good news if you gave them money. They'd give you bad news if you didn't. In other words, let's read it again. They will cry peace for you when they have something to eat, when you give them a little coin. But they will declare war against him who doesn't give them anything in their mouths. Do you understand how wrong that is on like a million levels? The whole distortion of conveying God's word. That's horrible. How does God feel about it? Look at verse 6. Therefore, it shall be night to you without vision, darkness to you without divination. The sun shall go down on the prophets and the day shall be black over them. The seers shall be disgraced. The diviners put to shame. They shall all cover their lips in horror for there is no answer from God. Here's what he said. He said, you understand your role, right? You're gifted to talk for me accurately. When you distort that, I'm going to shut you down. He said, not only are you not going to hear from me, not only am I not talking anymore, but I'm even going to shut down your anointing and gifting to where you can't see anything going on. You thought you used to be able to see stuff and do stuff. And then what, you're going to make a little business for yourself. You know what? Your business is closed. You don't even have that gift anymore. You don't have that anointing anymore. That's how God worked in the old Testament. He would just lock it down and shut them out. Wow. You see the essence of what was going on in Israel can be summed up in one word, selfishness. Isn't that kind of what ruins everything? Selfishness. If I asked you, hey, let's assess your spiritual life. How you doing? I would venture to say that you'd go, ah, some are good, some parts are bad. The bad parts tend to be where selfishness has kind of ruined it, right? Well, I don't really focus too much on reading the word anymore. I'm kind of, kind of busy. Well, I don't really kind of get into the worship thing. That's not really my groove. Well, I kind of don't really. Those are all selfishness issues. The same thing had taken root 
in the leadership of Israel. But wasn't Jesus a different kind of prophet? Remember when he came here, he said, I'm not here to be popular. I'm not here to win friends. Here's my job. Whatever my father tells me to say and do, that's the only stuff I do. I'm not going to let the pipeline get corrupted by my own selfish interests. I will tell you exactly what the father says. Nothing more, nothing less. I am what my father desires, a clean microphone from God to God's people. That is what he longs for. Now, how do we make that personal? Y'all, you are the leadership that is conveying God's word. You're the prophets. Why? Because not only are some of you supernaturally gifted that way, but y'all have the word of God. Prophecy is speaking for God, meaning either foretelling or forthtelling. Anytime you are quoting the word of God, anytime you're talking with friends at Starbucks and giving them advice, you should be clearly articulating the word of God. You don't have to use the fancy language. You need to use the right principles. It means that whatever God's heart is, you don't just get to have your own opinion and spew off whatever you think. Why? You're Christians. Christians should have their speech seasoned with salt, speaking of that which elevates the conversation, not debases the conversation. I would suggest to you that the most powerful leadership right now that you can have in America is how you talk to your friends. Why? Where do you think grassroots movements come from? They come from friends. They come from conversations behind closed doors. They come from influencing those you love. So when everyone else wants to grouse about everything that is wrong, a Christian should be sprinkled there to talk about what God is doing right. It means to lift up the hope for the nation. It means to actually talk about... Things that God may be working through and underseeding, right? And bringing about transformation. We are the prophets. You see, Bridgeway always teaches the priesthood of all believers. Remember, we never leave it to the professionals. You are the church. You're anointed. You are gifted. You are empowered. You as believers are the ones to overturn the world, to exercise the authority and power God has given you so that you are advancing the kingdom of God. When you leave this building, you are the church. You are the power force that God uses. You don't leave it up to us. We'll wreck it and we won't do it very well. Let's pick it up in verse 8. I love this beautiful hope phrase right in the middle of all this. He's looking at a negative world, a negative nation. He says this, but as for me, I am filled with power. Man, how cool is that? Y'all, we need to get into the mindset that we are abundantly blessed. God is not holding back on us. He's not barely eking out a little bit for us to get by. He's lavishing love lavishing grace, lavishing power, 
lavishing authority. We have more than we need. He said, I am filled with power, with the Holy Spirit of Yahweh. I am filled with justice. I am filled with might to declare to Jacob his transgression and to Israel his sin. Basically, here's what it means. As a Christian, you are empowered to make a difference. But leadership means not leaving it as status quo. Y'all, we are supposed to move forward, advance the ball. I understand that causes problems. I understand that it makes waves, but here's the deal. Leaders are not managers. Managers are to keep the current systems running smooth. What if the current systems aren't working? We need a leader that will take us into a new system that is better than the old system. That's how leadership works, but there's no way you're going to bring change without agitating the status quo. You've got to be that type of person. Why? Because it's right. Not because it's easy. It's because it's right. We need to have the boldness to declare what God really wants. With love, seasoned with grace. Yeah? Pick it up in verse 9. Hear this, you heads of the house of Jacob and rulers of the house of Israel who detest justice and make crooked all that is straight, who build our nation Zion with blood and Jerusalem with iniquity. Its leadership give judgment for a bribe. Its priests teach for a price. Its prophets practice divination for money. Yet they lean on the Lord and say, is not God among us? No disaster will come upon us. Therefore, because of you, our nation Zion will be plowed like a field. Jerusalem shall become a heap of ruins and the mountain of the house a wooded height. If the leadership is bad, it doesn't go well. I heard this phrase. It was... It was rather significant to me. Certain words just ping out to me. And I was reading a commentary on this and it said they had slipped into moral perversity. And basically it means that nothing is clear anymore. There's no right and wrong. Everything's distorted. Everything's kind of like mixed it up and it's all kind of yucky. That moral perversity. Here's my most troubling part about that passage. He said, and when they do things selfishly, they say, isn't God still among us and on our side? Scariest verse in the Bible, y'all remember? Scariest verse in the Bible. Jesus said, when I return, many will come to me in that day and say, Lord, Lord, did we not do miracles in your name? And I'm going to say, depart from me. I don't even know who you are. Wow. Now you could say, well, those people know that they're wrong. They're just lying. Mm, Maybe. I think a lot of them are going to be pretty surprised. I think a lot of them really thought they were legit because they were doing the religious stuff. I think that a lot of them were saying, listen, surely I must be cool 
because I'm doing miracles. God would never give miracles to somebody that was selfish, right? Those are the only kind of people that God gives miracles to. Please do not assume that fruitfulness in your ministry is evidence that you're legit. Because here's the deal. It's all about relationship. If we have done a lot of great religious things, we go to church on time, we make sure to give our tithes, we do all these things, we think that somehow we've fulfilled a contract. Remember, the new contract is love. The new contract is relationship. So where should we put all of our attention? Relationship with God. That's where we need to be camping. Jesus walked in as a very different king. And he said, I have a different sort of people. My prayer is that Bridgeway would become people just like that. Can I have the prayer team come on up here as we close out? True believers are different. Wherever you walk, the kingdom of God dwells. I'm going to encourage you and we're going to pray for your encouragement and strengthening that whatever you see around you that is askew whatever you see that is wrong or out of alignment with scripture that you would pray about it and say lord is there something that you're asking me to do here is there somehow i need to right a wrong is it my place lord have you given it to me as my calling if it's not okay maybe somebody else has that calling but at least you pray We as a church need to be a much more dynamic force for being transformation into our nation. Amen? It's what we're here for. If God just wanted us to sit quietly with Him, He'd just take us all home. But as long as He leaves us here, we have a job to do. And that job is to be transformative agents for the kingdom of God of God. All right, let me go ahead and pray for you. Uh, when I say amen, the altar is wide open. The prayer leaders have come here just for you. They would be super sad to go home without being able to cover somebody in prayer, right? So if you have any needs physically, mentally, emotionally, that's why they're here. If anything has been stirred up from the message, they are here for you. Let's go ahead and pray and we'll dismiss. Heavenly Father, You are good and glorious and kind. You are patient and loving. You're forgiving. I understand that you are just God and that you bring accountability. I understand, Lord, that you draw lines in the sand. And for all those things, we praise you. I'm just asking that today, Lord, among your people, among those that call out your name as God, That, Lord, that you would encourage us and empower us and quicken us in our minds and hearts and spirits to walk out of here knowing our calling, knowing our identity, and feeling ready to bring change. That, Lord, we are asking that you would make us 
the creators of Christian culture in our world. That, Lord, that everything would be different because we spilled in there with the presence of the Holy Spirit. God, I just ask for encouragement to flood those that are discouraged. I pray for challenge to come upon those of us that are selfish or hard-headed. I pray, Lord, that You would scoop us together as a community of power. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Have a wonderful week. We'll see you next time.